We have two scripture readings this morning, and the first is from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 17. You can find that on page 364 of your Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Give us a moment while we set up here. Paul and I are going to uh, sort of be doing the tag team conversational sermon. So, good morning, church. Or should I better say, good morning, saints. Saints. How do you wear that title, hey? How does that fit for you? Saints. Take a moment, would you? Look around you. Look at the people in front of you, behind you, uh, beside you. Go ahead, look at them. What do you see there? Do you see saints? That's, That's not often a term we might use for ourselves, is it? Maybe you're thinking, no, not him, no, no, no. maybe her, but no. (laughs) Or what about ourselves? That's not often a term we might apply to ourselves as well. Because we have this misunderstanding of what a saint is. Popular understood, saints is a person who has has lived this this uninterrupted life of virtue. They're, They're a spiritual superhero. They're someone who has lived this unrivaled life of spiritual and moral excellence. But that's not a biblical picture of what a saint is. Actually, saints is one of the the most um, used terms in the New Testament to talk about followers of Jesus Christ. And it's the thing, the very first thing Paul writes here in this letter to Ephesians. He says, to the saints, it's a term he uses for the church, you, you are a saint. But if I did a quick poll of us here, um, that's not how we see ourselves. We don't easily identify that way as a saint. But I got to tell you, that has less to do with reality and more to do with the way we see reality. And so the question becomes, how are we seeing reality? Are we seeing it accurately? Are we seeing it correctly along the grains of Scripture? And I mention this because today we're diving into this book of Ephesians. And we're going to be dwelling for some time in this book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is a book that helps us see accurately, helps us see reality. Um, And as you read it, um, as as we live by it, our hope is that we're going to see truly accurately. Ephesians, well, all of Scripture is sort of like a pair of glasses. I have lived my life ever since 10 years old, I think needing glasses or corrective eyewear. I have contacts. Now I need an extra set of glasses, reading glasses. It's because stuff is all fuzzy, right? You just don't see accurately. And you put those glasses on, it's just like, oh, I can read, I can see, I can see faces. Um, Ephesians is like that. It helps, we, we live, we stumble about with a fuzzy view of reality and, and seeing life through a book like Ephesians helps us see accurately Truly, So that's what we're going to do. We're going to immerse ourselves for some time in this, this book called Ephesians. And the sermon title, I think, captures what we're trying to do. It's called A Better Story. Ephesians, an alternative reading of reality. Because this is what Scripture proposes is it. It is an alternative reading of reality. And um, 
as we dive into this, we really want to do this together. This is why we're up here together as well, sort of a symbol of that, to, to recognize that preaching, what happens here Sunday, we give a lot of time for that. It, it is actually a communal reality, a communal event. It's a multi-layered act of, of listening, of reading, proclaiming, absorbing, living. And, and together we give our attention to this text of God's word. Together as a community, we, we listen, um, we think through the meaning and the implications of what God has to say to us. We give our attention together to God's word and scripture and to Jesus Christ. And Preaching is meant to be like that, to, to initiate a wider conversation. Despite its, its appearance as a one-way mode of communication from a speaker to you, preaching is, in fact, indeed a, a communal listening, um, a communal conversation. Paul, I know you've thought a lot about that. Um, any, any further input or thoughts on, yeah, preaching is a community conversation? Yeah, I, th- I think that... Um... It's um, you know it's it's important to to recognize that um, that Phil just as you've made the introduction by um, addressing the community as saints it's a it's by translation and by by nature and by emphasis it's communal and um, we we've we've missed we've missed this a lot uh, in the church particularly in the West um, we've lost this sense that is um, seemingly so natural to, for instance, the African church and African culture. Um, the sense that, that we belong to one another, that our journeys are not isolated, lonely journeys, um, and that we find ourselves um, most profoundly in relationship and, and in community. I mean, that's why, mm-hmm. that's why friendship. That's why children, that's why marriage, neighbor, colleague, those, that's why those, those images and those metaphors are not going away um, anytime too soon. And I, I think that in uh, an interesting movement within biblical studies and also in the spiritual formation movement, there is this recognition that one of the things that the Spirit is calling the church back to is a more communal understanding, and particularly a communal understanding of how to read scripture together um, how to listen to teaching together, and even how to process. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that if you, uh, you know, you check out various churches, and good churches in North America, you know, whether it's uh, uh, a very successful Presbyterian church um, uh, in Uxbridge, Ontario, or whether it's First Baptist Vancouver, whether it's the Meeting House uh, here in Ontario, um, one of the things that you find is this instinct to link um, the small groups, and in many cases, even the youth ministry with the content of the sermon. Not because the pastor is the only one who has something to say to the community, but because the recognition that the community should take some time together to, to digest um, what, uh, what God is saying. And, you know, it's interesting to ask yourself, what questions do you come with when you come into, you know, into worship? You know, um, common questions uh, that we come to worship are, what am I going to get out of this? Um, you know, I hope the sermon isn't too long, and other people say, I hope it isn't too short. Um, but, but most of us, I, I'm just going to go out there and, and, and out of the limb and say this, most of us do not ask ourselves, what is the Spirit saying to the church? Uh, we, are, we, are, we are geared and shaped and enculturated to ask 
personal questions of the content and of the experience. And it's not that pers the personal is not valuable or important, but it is interesting that when you go deeper into the New Testament, I mean, the Jewish mind of the Old Testament goes without saying, but in, when you go deeper in the New Testament with the apostles, you start to realize that they were steeped in a communal first kind of instinct when it came to um, the message and the ministry of the gospel. That's one of the big themes in the book of Ephesians as well, is the formation of the church as a people. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. But that's why we wanted to mention this is not a one-way deal. It's a, it's a communal listening thing. And this is why we're going to encourage all of you for this next big chunk of time as we dive into the book of Ephesians to, to engage with this. Um, and, and we do that in a variety of ways. We can do it individually uh, as we work through and, and continue to listen and speak with others about what we've been talking about Sunday. But as then also as we engage in conversation communities, which are our small group ministry, this is the way in our church where we work this out in significant ways, where we have this ongoing conversation with God's word, with others in the context of community. And we can encourage you to, to get involved in that. We often say, you're not going to grow in your spiritual life if you just show up on Sunday, if you just come once to service on Sunday, because you need to work this out together in the context of community with others. And, uh, and so we can't encourage you strongly enough to do that. But also, I, I urge you to dive deeply with us into this, because we're at a a moment in this flow of our calendar. It's sort of post-Easter. Spring, although the weather today doesn't look like it, spring is on the horizon. And it's often tempting to sort of check out. Because you figure, we just celebrated the high mark of the Christian year, resurrection, Easter, Jesus is risen, hallelujah. And then what's left? And then other pursuits can sort of fill our time and our attention. But the resurrection is so momentous. The church has actually said, you know what? We need the rest of the year to figure out the implications about how we live out this reality and to unpack what the life of Jesus means for us. And so at this time, as we celebrate the resurrection, we, we want to invite you in deeper to the book of Ephesians as we dive into what are the implications of the risen Jesus for our living. How does it impact us? How do, how do we live resurrection reality in all of our lives? Um, so we want to invite you into this. We're going to walk leisurely through this uh, marvelous book um, of Ephesians and looking at what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us. But as we begin that, we want to get a little bit of a handle on this text that we're going to be reading, the book of Ephesians. And Paul, I wonder if you might take a few moments just to give us an overview um, and also how we're going to approach listening and understanding to this text. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to say everything in a, in a few moments um, on that kind of scale. But uh, one, of the, one of the things that we're starting to realize is that, is that people and, and pastors um, often come to the letters, um, the epistles, um, and sort of experience them as a little bit of a, of a little bit of a mishmash of ideas and sections of verses, and and one of the things historically that's been lacking um, when it comes to New Testament work in the epistles, in particular, is a kind of uh, a kind of a, a broader perspective that informs the, the detailed work, um, and and Ephesians um, in particular. Um, and maybe I'd say Colossians, you know, Phil, we've talked about this, that, that maybe Colossians as well, are, are two places at least in the, the epistles 
where there is that sense of a larger story. Um, we, we've, I think, have become convinced that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have that larger story. You can follow where they're going and where the division is and where, and, and yet the epistles, again, thematically, they talk about all different, um, all different kinds of things. Um, but it does seem that there's a kind of a, a, a broader drama, if you want, uh, and a broader drama connected to God's people that's art, being articulated. Um, in the uh, in the book of of Ephesians, uh, one one way um, to organize our understanding of Scripture, uh, some biblical scholars are starting to, and theologians are starting to, starting to talk about um, embracing Scripture um, with the metaphor um, of the theater. So, um, so for instance, um, uh, Scripture being the script. It's a word mm. from, from outside us. It's a word, and that, that's, the, that's the origin, that's the place that we, that we start. Um, and then the, 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 a script in, in theater language requires actors, requires a troupe, requires a community of people to actually bring life to this word. And, um, and in, uh, in our Christian uh, language and understanding the word always becomes flesh. And so this is a follow through on, on the incarnation. And, and what scholars are saying is what about thinking about scripture in order to, to capture this scripture as the script, the church as the community who performs the script. And uh, a further development I think is interesting to develop is, is uh, to ask who the audience is for this uh, performance. Um, I think in our individualistic uh, uh, approach uh, to, um, to this, uh, the congregation has become the audience for the preaching. It's the congregation that evaluates and listens the most closely and then goes out and says, you know, I'm gonna do that, I'm not into that, I don't like that, I didn't, you know, whatever. Um, but with, with, the, with the realization actually that, that the, the community of the church are the, are the performers mm-hmm. um, and the stage crew and the musicians, um, that the audience is really the world. And that that's a better way to think about it. You know, first Peter writes in the epistle, his first epistle, he says to the Christians that he's writing to, live such good lives among the pagans. So live your lives in clear view that they may see, that they may watch. Um, It's interesting, it doesn't say listen or hear. Um, that they may see your good lives and glorify God on the day yeah. that he visits. And so the, I think the way it works out is, is something like this. Wow, that was an amazing, amazing performance. You know, that, that, that playwright is a genius. Yeah. You know, I can't, wait till, I can't wait till Soul Pepper puts on that next play <laughs> because that's a, that's a fantastic, amazing time. And, and I think that there's a profitable way forward in understanding scripture in our yeah. relationship with the church. So the that. script for faithful gospel performances. And structurally, biblically, right at the center of the book. The book functions this way, Ephesians functions this way, because right at the center of the book, there's this hinge point uh, between uh, chapter four, verses one through six, where all of a sudden Paul, the whole first half, chapters one through three, are, are in what's called the indicative mood. So de- declarative, here's what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. And then in four, 
all of a sudden there's a shift where Paul now calls people to, to here, here's how you live this out. And even in that four, verse one through six, first he talks about God's calling in verses one through three. And then there's this hinge word called worthy, live worthy lives. Walk it out. And in, in verses four through six, it's walking that out. And this is our call. And that, that word is worthy lies, worthy of the gospel story that we have been included in, worthy of this new reality God has called us to. So gospel script, how else? How, there's also part of the, in terms of that drama, this, this larger story or revelation that uh, we can observe here in this text. Want to say anything more about that, about a, as an approach to reading Ephesians? Ephesians, Ephesians has, um, you know, several very memorable and familiar um, passages. Um, the, way it, the way it ends, though, is, is a little bit curious um, because in, um, in chapter 6, Paul begins to talk about this struggle. And um, he, he, the language that he uses to describe the struggle of God's people, um, he sort of escalates the language when he says in a passage that many of you know that, that we wrestle not against or we struggle not against flesh and blood. We, our, our opposition isn't mere human beings, um, uh, but our, our struggle is uh, against principalities and powers. Our, our struggle is from another powerful, powerful world, mm-hmm. another way of living, another way of, of, of reality, if you want, and that this reality is not something to to mess around about. And so it's interesting that, that, that Ephesians, this really in many ways lovely book that focuses on um, our identity in Christ, you know, it's in Ephesians that we are called God's workmanship, God's piece of art for purpose. It's in Ephesians um, where Paul says, you know, because you are loved so much by God. Yeah. Uh, it's in Ephesians that reminds us that our, at the center of our life is the gift of grace. Um, and, and, and then Ephesians goes on and it talks about the nature of the community. It talks about family relationships. And so you're, just when you're getting lulled to sleep by talking about wives and husbands and children and parents and, and relationships in the workplace, all of a sudden Paul pulls this, this sort of more dramatic move when he talks about our struggle. And we don't usually think about the normal call, callings in life um, around community, around family, around marriage, around children, around work. We don't usually think about those in that sort of exaggerated sense that Paul, Paul talks about. And so it does seem that there is a kind of a dramatic curve in, in, in Paul's writing to um, the people in Ephesians. That's why we had that other story from Second Kings read this morning too. And you may have thought, well, why are you reading that story? That doesn't fit. That doesn't make sense. But, but it does because that story from Second Kings is, is a picture of what Paul is actually doing in Ephesians. In that story in Second Kings, so there's Elisha. He's got a servant. All he sees is the Aramean soldiers all around him. Can't see anything else. One view of reality. Elisha says, God, show him real truth. Show him another picture of reality. Open his eyes. And all of a sudden, he sees the hills filled with the warriors of the army of the Lord. And Ephesians is essentially that. At the very beginning of the book, Paul says in his prayer, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened. 
I pray that you might actually see reality. And so he then begins later on to uncover, here's the things that are operating, powers and principalities, and later on this whole notion of, 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 of a battle, of a conflict that actually is playing out um, in this uh, physical, well, this plane of existence that is, is something we need to see beyond. So if the whole book of Ephesians, is, is its prayer is that we might see reality, um, God's reality that is at work um, in this world. And uh, so that's, that's a big piece of the approach that we'll be taking um, as we explore this book of Ephesians. Now, there's a number of key themes in Ephesians. We can quickly sketch out some of them. You talked about the identity. Um, we, the identity is such an important piece. Um, in our society, our culture, we are encouraged to craft identities, to cultivate them, to make them up. And, and people have different identities in different places and different times during their life. However, here in Ephesians, Paul says, you actually have a given identity that was established before the creation of the world, that God knew you and saw you, and this is who you are. And so we're going to be looking at the big implications of that. What other themes have you uh, come across in Ephesians that we'll look at? I think I think certainly prayer is, um, Paul both describes his prayers and he actually prays for people. And, and then near the end, he asks that the people he's writing to in Ephesus, that they, that they pray for him, for his ministry, and that, that, that he would be able to, to do it without fear. Um, certainly uh, relationships in community, yeah. an emphasis on the church, an emphasis on the family, an emphasis on marriage, an emphasis on work relationships and societal relationships. Um, and so there, there, there does seem to be amidst this, this dramatic flow in the book, this emphasis on, on, um, on practical living, if you want, um, which, which to me is a real attention getter because of the contrast between Paul's amazing vision not only for Jesus' resurrection and its implications, but, but also his vision for the dark side. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of this, he places our real lives and asks us to, to live faithfully in the midst of that. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this, this big theme of the exalted Jesus Christ. This picture of Jesus as so high above all others. It's interesting in Ephesians, there's, there's hardly um, a reference to the cross, and it's more about the resurrected, the ascended Jesus, and, and what that means for our lives as, as followers of Jesus Christ, that he is victorious over all powers um, and principalities in this universe. Um, and then, of course, yeah, as you mentioned, the church. Uh, it's interesting. Ephesians is about articulating the reality that God is crafting a new people, a new society, and maybe I could state it a little more provocatively, a new humanity. That is how big the scope of what Jesus is doing, that the church is meant to embody this new humanity that God had already envisioned from the very beginning of time in creation. And, and Paul speaks of the church that way quite radically. We think of the church, you know, as what happens on Sunday or maybe some people we get together for, for a Bible study or have lunch with during the week. But throughout Ephesians, the church is this, this new humanity that, that cuts across all the divisions that chop us up in society, that all the things that separate us, Paul says, no, there's a greater reality in Jesus Christ that unites us into something spectacularly new. And, and so we're going to tease out the implications of that and, and the call that it places upon us as a church. And so I want to invite you 
to come with us and to go deep into this. I invite you to prayerfully listen together to what God is saying in Ephesians, to, to be part of the wider conversations. If you're not a part of a conversation community, to get into one. And I invite you to exchange, engage this book of Ephesians um, very deeply. Read it. Talk about it. Memorize chunks of it. And, and this week, what I'm going to encourage you to do is this. I'm going to encourage you to read through the whole book of Ephesians. It's not long. It's six chapters. Set aside somewhere in your week, 30, 45 minutes, and, and read it through in one sitting, just so you get a sense for the whole. We're actually going to encourage conversation communities in their groups to do that together, to read it out loud, to hear it read, because that's actually how the letter was meant to be um, spread about. It was a, more of a general letter given to a region of churches, and it was meant to be read out loud in home churches and in their uh, larger congregations. And so we're going to encourage you to do that in your, uh, in your conversation communities. Um, so that's what we're hoping to do, saints, with this book of Ephesians. Read through it. And that brings us back to where we started, to that simple, profound greeting of Paul to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints in Toronto, to the saints at Knox, you. This is the better story that's at work, that God in Jesus Christ has made you and I a saint. We are saints. Saint Jeremy, Saint Nancy, Saint Willa, along with Saint James and Saint Andrew and Saint Paul and all the other saints. That's you. Have you ever been called a saint? I bet you've been called a lot of other things, right? Perhaps by some people who spoke some words that just stung or just hurt. Or perhaps it's that cranky internal voice, that slave master that's inside that continually condemns you. You know, the voice that continually says, what a loser, you did that. You're hopeless, you'll never be, what a mess. But the voice of God is clear. No, those voices aren't true. Here's what's true about you. You are a saint. By naming you and I as saints, the Bible provides us a lens through which we can see truly, through which we can see reality, through which we can see ourselves and each other more clearly. That person beside you, that unruly kid, that cranky senior, that overworked, stressed out person, saints, one and all in Jesus Christ. So God's giving us a better story to live out our lives by calling us saints and, and training us to see ourselves and others as more than the sin that often smudges our life, to see ourselves as dominated and marked by a deeper grace that we know in Jesus Christ. Think of all the biblical saints. And this is what they're called throughout Scripture. Think of all those people in scripture. There's boozy Noah, right? He gets totally drunk. There's shifty-eyed con artist Jacob. There's Moses, who's a man on the lamb from the law because he's murdered someone. There's Samson, who's driven more by his sexual appetite than his desire for God. And it doesn't get any better when you go to the New Testament, right? You got disciples quibbling about who's going to sit on the throne and write to you, Jesus. You got turncoat Peter who denies Jesus. You got skeptical Thomas. You got, you got Saul, right? This persecuting pit bull who gets his first taste of Christian blood at a persecution. And think of the churches of the New Testament. The Corinthian church, 
that Paul writes to, who at the same moment, you know, um, engaged in divisive litigation and illicit sex, a church more often concerned with a spiritual high than, than with the simple call to serve the poor and the hungry. And yet in all these people's lives, the greater reality, Scripture says, is the reality of grace that is operating. And so God is able to say, saints, holy people, because of our identity, because of this better story playing out of what God is doing, not what we do, but what God is doing, we are called saints. As the two-time governor general award-winning poet and former member of Knox, Margaret Avison, once said, she said this, the best must be on earth, only the worst in course of being transformed. The best must be on earth, the worst in the course of being transformed. This is the better story that is happening in Jesus Christ right now in your and my life. Thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the beautiful sweet reality of grace, this transformative power that changes us. It changes the the whole history of the world. This is the story being worked out. Give us the eyes to see it. Root it deep in our lives, God. And may we live it out faithfully, fruitfully, so your kingdom comes through our daily living. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.